Hi, I'm Sam Hawley. This is ABC News Daily. When an Australian journalist was detained by the Taliban, forced to apologise for her stories, it highlighted the threats faced by reporters since coalition forces pulled out of Afghanistan almost a year ago. Today we speak to Lynn O'Donnell about her escape and the terror the Afghan people are facing. Lynn, you lived in Kabul for a long time. Just tell us about that. Well, I lived in Kabul as the bureau chief for two of the big international news agencies, the French AFP and Associated Press, which is American. So between 2009 and um, 2017, I was the bureau chief, the resident bureau chief at those agencies. And then I went back last year. Um, I worked with a photographer called Masoud Hosseini to cover the war. And so we spent three months up until August 15th last year covering the war and its aftermath. And we were on the last, coincidentally, we were on the last commercial flight to leave Kabul just uh, before the Taliban came in and declared victory. Mm. You left the country for the second time at around that time when American troops were pulling out. That was an incredible, incredible time. It's really hard, isn't it, to forget the images we saw then of desperate Afghans clinging to departing planes as they tried to escape the Taliban takeover. But let's fast forward because a year on or a little less than a year on, you decided to go back again. Why was that? Well, for exactly that reason, it's been a year. Mm -hmm. Um, I write about Afghanistan a lot and I thought there would be a spike up in attention. And so I went back on uh, Sunday the 17th. I arrived at um, five o'clock in the morning in Kabul last week. Mm. I went the next day to the foreign ministry because I had to register as a visiting foreign journalist that's the gig. Then I presented myself to a man who calls himself Abdul Kahar Balki, who is the spokesman for the foreign ministry. Yes, representative of the people of Afghanistan would uh, like to send our message to the world, a message of peace, of uh, coexistence, of positive relations. Now, that's not his real name. His uh, real name is something like Hassan Basash. He's spent a long time in New Zealand. His family is still living in Wellington. So he speaks, you know, English like you and I do, and one would think that he's a pretty sort of sophisticated uh, person. Uh, women will be afforded all their rights, uh, whether it is in work or other activities, because women are a key part of society. But that wasn't the case. He told me that I was a white supremacist colonialist. He said that the Taliban uh, were going to ask me to leave the country, that they didn't recognise me as a journalist. They were angry with me for some of the stories that I did last year. He also reminded me of a suicide attack that the Taliban had carried out on staff members of a domestic television station. They sent a suicide bomber against a bus 
that was taking people home and they killed more than half a dozen people. And he said they had carried out this attack because of false reporting and we're proud of that. And I took this as a threat against my life. That's basically the message that he was trying to send me. And then what happened? Well, that was on Monday, Mm. I guess early afternoon on Tuesday after I'd been there. And a man called Ahmad Zahil called me demanding that I come. And I said, look, I'm going to leave anyway. What do you want to talk about? He said, it's my decision whether you leave or not. I want you to come in and have a face-to-face meeting about your crimes. And if you don't come in to the office, I'm going to close all the border points so you can't leave the country. Okay, well, would you like to come to my guest house? There's a nice cafe here. So he and three other guys, including a gunman, came to my guest house. Mm. So there's a gunman with them? No, there's guns everywhere. Mm. It's just bristling. Everywhere you go, there's guys with long hair and guns. And then they made me go with them to their um, to their office. They shouted at me for quite some time. They demanded explanations for stories. One of the stories that they that they were particularly objecting to was about LGBT people in in Afghanistan who are in hiding because they're terrified of what will happen to them. And I was told there are no gays. And who are these people that you've named in this story? Of course, I didn't use their real names because they they'll be hunted down. They know it, and they are being. Um, so yeah, this is this is the sort of treatment that I that I got mm. for quite some time, for about four hours. Mm, and then people, other people, seem to get an inkling that something's not quite right because you start tweeting. Yes, uh, apology. That's where the tweets came in. You know, they they were saying to me, um, "You need to apologise." So I said, "Sorry." They said, "No, you need to apologise properly." And I said, "Well." I'm sorry. I'm very sorry. What would you like me to say? Sorry. Can I go now? You know, they said, no, you have to. Oh, it has to be done publicly. Okay. So um, I started composing the tweet after we'd had a discussion about what it should say. Mm-hmm. And what did it say? Well, basically it was, the, you know, I apologise for three or four stories that I wrote. I made them up um, and it was a premeditated attempt to defame the Taliban. I said to them, you know, look, in all sincerity, I'm telling you that with my hand on my heart, if you make me do this, I'll do it if that's, you know, if you want me to do it, but you're going to look silly. Mm -hmm. And they had a discussion amongst themselves about the meaning of the word silly. And then they decided that they wouldn't look silly. So um, immediately people saw those tweets. They knew that something was wrong. Mm. You know, people were looking at them and going, Lynn? No. <laughs> and um, and there was really very great concern about my safety. It was clear from second one that those tweets hit the feed that I hadn't written them. So after it was all over, I said, okay, I've done that, guys. Um, all, all done now? And um, and then they, they dropped me back at my guest house. And then the next day, I went um, to the airport at two o'clock and I caught a plane out of there. While you were there, you say you did get a glimpse of what Afghanistan is like under Taliban rule. You know, Kabul is the busiest city I have ever worked in. There was something going on all the time and it was like that for everybody who lived in the city. 
because, you know, there was a very sort of like vibrant um, commercial, uh, lots of cafes and restaurants and traffic gridlocked from, you know, six o'clock until 10 o'clock at night because people were always out doing stuff. But when I went to Kabul last week, what I found was a very, very sad place with very little activity going on, hardly any people in the streets. You don't need an hour anymore to get anywhere. You just need 10 minutes. There's no cars. The Taliban have confiscated, which really means stolen, thousands and thousands of people's individuals' cars. Um, There is no money. The United States and the United Nations have frozen the uh, reserves of the of the uh, central Former bank. Afghan President Hamid Karzai is urging the United States to return national assets. Washington is seeking to split... This money does not belong to any government. This is the property of the Afghan people and the Afghan people are the rightful owners of this property. I request uh, President Joe Biden uh, to reconsider his decision and to uh, return the totality of Afghan And there's about $500 million in individual deposits also frozen. So people can't get money out of their bank account. And the price of petrol has doubled in the year since I I was away to $1.20 US a litre. So even if you've got a car, you can't really afford to put petrol in the tank. The price of bread, which everybody eats every meal, it's the staple, has, um, I reckon, tripled. Everything has just gone through the roof. And this is the mismanagement of the Taliban. They they cannot make their transition into a government. They're incapable of doing it. And what they did to me is indicative of what their priorities are. Girls not going to school. It's been a year now since girls aged 12 to 16 can go to secondary school. You know, that's how they're running Afghanistan. That's what I found. More than one person described it to me as a reign of terror. Mm, And do you think, Lynn, as Australians, we know how bad it really is in Afghanistan? And if we don't have journalists like you there, how can we possibly know? Well, this is the thing. Once journalism stops, you don't know what's going on. There's no one there to tell you. And the Taliban are very aware of that. What they did to me, they also threatened after I had left to do to other foreign correspondents who arrive. They issued tightened um, regulations on movement and reporting. So unfortunately, they um, they used me to make things even worse. And um, at the same time, they gave me a global platform to talk about what it is really like in Afghanistan for Afghan people. It's a horrible, horrible, terribly sad and tragic place. Lynn O'Donnell is an Australian journalist. You can find some of her stories in Foreign Policy magazine. You might have seen Russia this week cut gas supplies to Germany to just 20% of capacity. If you want to know more about Europe's reliance on Russian gas, we covered that on July the 18th. That's in your feed. 
This episode was produced by Flint Duxfield. Additional production by Sydney Peed and Chris Dengate, who also did the mix. Our supervising producer is Stephen Smiley. I'm Sam Hawley. ABC News Daily will be back again tomorrow. You can find all our episodes of the podcast on the ABC Listener. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.